good evening. The fight over the stimulus. Will Mitch McConnell allow a vote to uh, check to vote to uh, send out checks of up to two thousand dollars instead of the six hundred that's been uh, that's been passed already in the bill, a bipartisan bill that was uh, considered a uh, compromise, but is now under um, under assault by many different directions and many progressives. A new mutant variant of the coronavirus appears in California. And what can cities do to make up for the billions lost because of the pandemic? With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Wednesday, December 30th, 2020. The Census Bureau says it'll miss the deadline for handling the numbers used for uh, handing over the numbers used for mapping congressional districts. The delay undermines President Trump's effort to exclude undocumented persons from the count, handing responsibility for the census to President-elect Joe Biden. It'll be the first time the end of the year deadline has been missed in 40 years. A House committee has seen documents showing the Census Bureau won't have the count ready until after Biden takes office on January 20th. And a United States citizen who spied for Israel and spent 30 years in prison, Jonathan Pollard, was greeted by friends and family at the culmination of a decades-long affair straining relations between the two countries. Pollard arrived on a private plane provided by casino magnet and Trump supporter Sheldon Adelson. He was greeted in Hebrew by Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He said to Pollard, you're home. Pollard was a civilian contractor with the United States Navy. He sold military secrets to Israel while working at the Pentagon in the 1980s. He was arrested in 1985 and pleaded guilty. He got a life sentence, but was released to home confinement for five years, ending in November, clearing the way for him to leave the United States. And California Governor Gavin Newsom announced the state's first case of the new and apparently more contagious variant of the coronavirus, The infection was found in Southern California and was announced with disease specialist, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Hey, doctor, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. And I wanted just to to start right off the top because of some news out of this state. Just uh, an hour or so ago, we were informed that this new variant, this new strain uh, that we've identified, obviously, from the United Kingdom, some other parts of the globe identified in Colorado, yesterday has been identified here in the state of California, in Southern California. And I know there's been a lot of conversations around the issue of virulence, the issue of transmissibility. Uh, But I'm curious more broadly uh, on the issue of diagnostics, uh, the testing side, immunity. Uh, Have we received enough information to really understand the impacts in other categories not just on the issue of severity of disease and the transmissibility of this disease. Well, Governor, first of all, I'm not surprised that you have a a case and likely more cases in California. And we likely will be seeing reports from other states. Colorado were the first to do that. I think you're going to start seeing it because if you have that much of a prominence of this in the UK with all the travel, not only directly to the United States, but through other countries intermittently, like where you go from UK to France, France to the United States, et cetera. Then Canada has cases. So I don't think that the Californians should feel that this is something odd. This is something that's expected. With regard to your specific question, there's a lot we know about it because the, our British colleagues have been studying it carefully. And there are things that we will soon learn more about them in a more definitive way literally as the days and weeks go by. So the things you mentioned, 
is that it looks pretty clear from the UK group that in fact the transmissibility of this mutant is more efficient than the transmissibility of the standard virus that we've been dealing with up to now. Namely, it just it's able to bind to the receptors on cells better and therefore is transmitted better. There's no indication at all that it increases the virulence. And by virulence, I mean the ability to make you sick or kill you. It doesn't seem to make it more strong in that regard. Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican, announced today he'll object next week to certifying Joe Biden's presidential victory. Congress meets in a joint session January 6th to vote on certifying the Electoral College results. By law, Vice President Mike Pence, the presiding officer, can hear objections only if one member from each chamber speaks out. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had this to say. Uh, Josh Hawley, that he's going to object on January yeah. 6th and force a debate on electoral college votes. Can you comment on that, that move from the Republicans? I have no doubt that on next uh, Wednesday, a week from today, that Joe Biden will be confirmed by the acceptance of the vote of the uh, electoral college as the as the president of the United States, she was saying there, Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker, Representative Mo Brooks of Alabama and others in the House will also object to certifying Biden's win. Trump has blamed his loss on voter fraud in swing states, but his dozens of court cases have failed to convince a judge to throw out the vote. The objection could cause a debate in both chambers with Democrats controlling the House. The measure has little chance. And efforts to boost the direct payments in the year-end coronavirus relief bill to $2,000 appeared all but doomed Wednesday, as Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he would not separate the plan from President Donald Trump's unrelated demands on technology and election policy. Tri-State Labor Journalist Bob Henley has an article about the fight over the stimulus in Salon and about the effects the economic downturn is apt to have in cities like New York. We have to go through and take inventory of what is going to come out of the $900 billion that, uh, which was an anemic, uh, uh, uh follow up on the, uh, two trillion plus that was passed, um, earlier, uh, in the year. Uh, what we see here is that there is some money, um, in, in terms of, uh, things if you're a transit worker working for the MTA, um, if you're in the aviation industry, there's a continuation of the payroll protection that was put into place to keep uh, the central workforces in aviation. It's now been expanded to mass transit where the MTA can't lay off for households that have been stressed out. There's an extension of some of that money, but certainly not near enough. Uh, but where it does come up short is on this direct aid that the National Governors Association, which is led by Governor Cuomo, although uh, Republicans are a key part of the National Governance Association. Uh, they didn't get one dime of the $500 billion requested aid. And so that means that even as revenues have continued to decline, um, the states, which are also the places that cities and counties get much of their money, um, are coming up short. So we've already seen greater layoffs than we did in the Great Recession in the public sector. This uh, 1.3 million public workers have been laid off. It's particularly pronounced in upstate areas uh, where they don't have the diversity of revenue stream that New York City has. And so we're seeing kind of an unraveling of this public sector. And so the expectation is, while Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio don't have much in common 
what they both have been doing is, uh, I believe, putting an over-reliance that President-elect Biden is going to be able to come in in fairly short order, maybe in the first quarter, uh, deliver on some of, if not all of, that local and uh, county and state aid that hasn't been forthcoming. And, and it's instructive to note the reason why that, that um, $500 billion didn't come is that the Democrats had to trade that important ask so they could get Mitch McConnell to sideline this diabolical indemnification that uh, McConnell wanted to grant corporations against being sued by workers who find themselves um, subject to premature death or long-term injury because the employer did not take proper COVID precautions. So that's it in a nutshell. What does that mean for us? What is? Are we going to go back? I lived in New York, as you did in the times when uh, right. people don't want to remember what it looked like when there were really no services. That's the thing, is that what we're concerned about is, particularly when it comes to uh, the services that um, are so important, you know, where people will feel it, and have already felt it, is in your community-based nonprofits that are so essential, ironically, to do things like distribute the vaccine. So while in, in New York City they have avoided the layoffs of, uh, uh, like, EMTs, FDNY EMTs and firefighters and cops and, and school teachers, what's happened is the cash flow problems is starving um, many of the nonprofits our listeners work for. So if you're doing community-based health outreach that's culturally relevant and important to connect people with uh, health care, uh, the undocumented, the immigrant community, those, those nonprofits are having a hard time and not getting funding. And Bob Henley, the Democratic-held House has approved a standalone bill to boost checks to $2,000 from $600, as 44 Republicans prodded by President Trump join nearly all Democrats in backing the measure. The GOP-controlled Senate has said it will not pass the checks without attaching other Trump priorities that Democrats consider toxic, and McConnell knows would sink any legislation. Bob Henley wrote an article in Salon titled, A Wall Street Tax That Could Lift Many Out of Poverty Already Exists. It's Just Not Being Collected. He says the city has its own way out of the mess. Tax Wall Street. Here in New York State and Phil Steck and Assemblyman for Schenectady are pushing right now for the state to, and this is kind of a mind blower, in 1905, a Republican governor put in place something called the stock transfer tax. There was a $5 million budget crisis. Oh, boy, for that kind of problem today, right? Five measly million dollars. So they put in, it's five cents per hundred dollars. Here, my friend, that's a nickel. Brother, can you spare a nickel on a hundred dollar stock transaction? Five cents put aside to keep the whole cartoon running. Well, that did fine. 1905, 1905, the New York Times, not such a great lady, then warned that if this tax went through, why Wall Street would leave. And a couple months later, Times did something it doesn't usually do. It retracted it and said it was mistaken because, indeed, it said the tax worked well. And so this, we continued to collect this tax until 1981. When Governor Kerry and Mayor Bean decided that as uh, some kind of gift to Wall Street, they would rebate it back. And since, don't you know, since 1981, we've been dutifully sending it back to Wall Street and not collecting it. So that means in the last 10 years, according to some women's tech, $138 billion, that's with a B for boy, has gone back to Wall Street and not into the, the city and state coffers. And as a consequence, what have we been doing during that time? We've been closing 
hospitals in community of color. We've been starving the public health institutions that we established, ironically, after the great influenza outbreak of 1918, lessons that we forgot in our uh, mean-spirited Thatcher-Reagan period, right? And so now's the time for us to correct that, because how can we really in good conscience ask poor parts of the country, places that have been chronically starved of resources, to bail us out, out the front door, if out the back door we continue to shovel this hidden multi-billion dollar subsidy to Wall Street, who surely now more than ever doesn't need that nickel. Tri-State labor journalist Bob Henley, often heard here on WBAI. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Argentina became the largest nation in Latin America to legalize abortion today. The sound of tens of thousands cheering in the capital, Buenos Aires, as the results of the vote in Argentina's Senate was announced. It was a triumph for feminists that overcame a last-minute appeal from Pope Francis to abortion opponents. After a marathon 12-hour session, the measure passed 38 to 29. The new law means abortion will be legalized up to the 14th week of pregnancy, and it will be legal in case of rape and dangers to the mother's life. Choice is already recognized in other parts of Latin America, including Uruguay, Cuba, and Mexico City. And a large explosion struck the airport in southern in the southern Yemeni city of Aden today. The blast occurred shortly after a plane carrying the newly formed cabinet of exiled President Hadi landed there. At least 22 were killed and 50 wounded. No group has claimed responsibility. No one on the government plane was hurt. A second explosion close to the governmental palace was later reported. That was where the new cabinet appointees were heading. The Saudi-led coalition supporting the exiled government reported it shot down a bomb-carrying drone targeting the palace. At least one, at least one member of the International Red Cross was among the dead. And the United States military flew nuclear-capable B-52H bombers over the Persian Gulf today. The two Air Force Stratofortresses fortresses flew from a base in North Dakota. The U.S. Central Command said the flyover was meant as a clear message to anyone planning to harm U.S. interests. It's the third similar mission in 45 days. A senior U.S. military official claims intelligence indicates Iran wants to avenge the killing of a top general last year. And it's been reported Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is expected to designate Cuba as a state sponsor of terrorism. It's apparently an 11th hour effort and 11th hour effort to make problems for the Biden administration. Only three nations have been designated as sponsors of terrorism, Iran, North Korea and Syria. The designation can result in penalties against people doing business with the island nation. President-elect Biden has said he will reverse Trump's policies against Cuba. And the United Kingdom has approved the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine for use beginning next week, early next week. The Oxford vaccine doesn't need to be kept under ultra cold conditions like the Pfizer vaccine being used in the United States. Great Britain has also announced schools throughout the country will be opening next month. Officials warn that 
the effects of the virus will be getting worse before they get better, despite the new vaccine. And in more news from Latin America, Honduras reports the killing of indigenous leader Adan Mejia. He was reportedly shot down by hooded men. The murder took place three days after another indigenous candidate for the Congress in Honduras was killed. Police say they don't have a motive yet for the murders. According to an indigenous group, since 2015, at least 20 defenders of native rights have been killed in Honduras. And the group Reporters Without Borders noted in its annual report, the most dangerous country in the world for journalists is Mexico. Eight reporters in the country were killed this year. Honduras was number two in the Americas. Fifty reporters were killed this year worldwide. The most dangerous line of work is reporting on corruption and organized crime. And the Biden administration will take swift action when it assumes office on January 20th to roll back harmful Trump administration policies that have not taken effect by Inauguration Day. That's according to a spokeswoman for President-elect Joe Biden's transition team today. Jan Psaki told a news conference the Biden-Harris White House will issue a memo to take effect afternoon Eastern time on January 20th that will halt or delay midnight regulations. Psaki gave as an example an expected Department of Labor rule that would make it easier for companies to call their workers independent contractors to avoid minimum wage and overtime protections. She said, if it takes effect, that rule will make it easier to misclassify employees as independent contractors, costing workers more than $3.7 billion annually. The memo would potentially freeze this rule and not allow it to be implemented. Saki also told the briefing that more cabinet-level nominations could be expected from the Biden camp in the next week, but not before the new year. And she repeated complaints that the outgoing Trump administration has failed to cooperate with the transition team. She said such lack of cooperation could delay production of a federal budget. Key cabinet nominations still bending from the Biden camp include those for attorney general, and Labor Secretary. Speaking with reporters last week, Biden said he has not settled upon a candidate for Attorney General, in part because he wants to ensure he lives up to his pledge to appoint a diverse cabinet. And we're going to have an early news today. I had a few computer problems, but fortunately we're back uh, in uh, the swing of things, although uh, it was a little bit uh, cut off. But I wanted to read this interesting story. It came over on the Associated Press. Uh, it was about a report a police report on the man who is making bombs is titled Hindsight is 2020. More than a year after Anthony Warner detonated a Christmas Day bomb in downtown Nashville, officers visited his home after his girlfriend told police he was building bombs in a recreational vehicle at his residence, according to documents, but they didn't make contact with him or see inside his RV. Those revelations contained in a newly disclosed 2019 incident report put Nashville's police chief on the defensive Wednesday as he said his officers did nothing wrong and they had handled the situation properly. He added, other than a 1970s marijuana-related arrest, Warner was squeaky clean. Metro National Police Chief John Drake said at the news conference, I believe the officers did everything they could legally. Maybe they could have followed up more. Hindsight is 2020. Officers were called to Pamela Perry's national home on August 21st, 2019, following a report from her attorney that she was making suicidal threats while sitting on her front porch with firearms. According to the incident report, when officers arrived, police said she had two unloaded pistols beside her on the porch. She told them the guns belonged to Tony Warner and she didn't want them in the house any longer. Perry, then 62, was taken for a psychological evaluation after speaking to mental health professionals. Uh, 
The report stated during that visit, before leaving for the evaluation, Perry told police that her boyfriend was making bombs in an RV. The report says police went to Warner's home about one and a half miles away, but he didn't answer the door when they knocked repeatedly. They saw the RV, but it was fenced off. It was in a fenced off backyard and officers couldn't see inside the vehicle. They also spotted several security cameras and wires attached to an alarm sign on a front door. The police said they saw no evidence of a crime and had no authority to enter the home or fence property. If we could have had more to go off of, it would have been good, Drake said. Law enforcement officials didn't publicly release the report, which was obtained only after news outlets submitted public records requests. Later, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation announced that Warner's only arrest was for a 1978 marijuana-related charge. David Rausch, the TBI's director, had told reporters earlier this week that Warner was not on their radar. Rausch was flanked by federal and state officials, including Drake, who didn't object or amend that statement. Drake later told reporters Wednesday he didn't learn of the report until late Sunday evening, but said he believed his officers that they could not smell any explosives and there were no probable cause for a search warrant. He also added he didn't know why Roush said Warner wasn't on anyone's radar. And so we're going to end a little bit early today, but I want to take a moment. My name is Paul DiRienzo, and this is the WBAI News. It's produced with Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson. But our most important ingredient is you, the listener. And as you can see, we have problems every day with equipment and other things happening, although this one's pretty much under control. We really could appreciate the help. If you're out there and want to send a letter with a check to WBAI 388 Atlantic Avenue and write WBAI computer in the note part of that check, make it out to WBAI Pacifica for that WBAI news computer and send it to 388 Atlantic Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11217. Thanks again for joining us. I'll see you tomorrow with more on the stimulus. 